Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. So, hi everyone, and welcome to episode 48 of Tiger Pops. We have Peg, and we have Laura, and we have Shayla, and I'll let you guys say hi. Hi, I'm Peg, and um, I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for doing this podcast. It's amazing. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Do you want to um, tell everyone who you are on, on Patreon? Sure. On Patreon, I'm Saucy Tuggles. Quite the star there. Definitely always leaving the really good comments. So I think people knew you by that handle. Yeah, okay, Laura. Make me blush. Okay. This is Laura. Um, I've been on a few times and I'm so happy to be back um, for this episode. Thanks for having me on. Um, I uh, am a musician and I am just so excited. I don't know, just a little personal Debbie. I'm a musician, but I'm really excited about this episode. <laughs> so my name is Shayla. I'm here for the second time. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, these girls are awesome. My life is a little bit boring. I'm an insurance agent but I think it's like the most fun job in the world. <laughs> and I have, uh, you guys heard this last time, a little boy who's eight years old and a little fur baby Aww. who is three. And I know you mentioned this a little bit before, um, how given that you have a son, like you thought of him right away when you read this episode. And I have to say, um, ever since Lily like, posted this sneak peek on, on Patreon, um, since it's passed, I don't think I'm giving anything away. I was like so nice to my kids all weekend because I was like, if I feel sympathy and like love for this little boy, I have to treat my kids nicely. So thank you, Lily. You made my kids weekend. Yes. <laughs> Say thank you, kids. <laughs> yeah. and it's funny. I actually like, I feel like I'm also nicer to my husband because of Torah and um, seeing how like we're also forgiving of Torah and we, you know, see like his depths and his pain and we, we understand, you know, we, we want to be patient with him. So I definitely try to be like more patient with my husband and like, but I get upset at him if he was Torah. You know, and then I try to calm down and just not get irritated at the small things. Okay, so <laughs> diving into the episode. So a bit of a recap from last time. So last episode was very intense. We had the reward system, which was obviously the kisses. He wanted to kiss her forever. I thought like, that's like, okay, let's get married and together forever, which is amazing. And then, you know, it ends with him lurching um, down onto the floor, collapsing and like asking Bobby to be his pillow. So... I don't know about you guys, but I was nervous that like Poppy would be like, I don't want to be your pillow. I can't. And then leave. So she didn't do that. She actually does lie down. And well, before she lies down, she actually picks up a thermometer, which I read the episode with my husband yesterday. And he was like, is that like a pregnancy test? (laughs) 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 So, yeah, so she actually she did that because she's like, you still got a slight fever. Are you sure you're not taking it again? And he's like, I never picked anything. Why the hell does everyone keep saying that? You know, can a man be sick for one once in his effing life? And, you know, you feel bad for Tora, right? This is like the first time that he's, um, you know, like allowing himself to feel vulnerable and be weak. And nobody believes him. You know, he's just always the stoic one that nobody um, thinks can, you know, he's invulnerable. So it's so out of character for him. It's It's taking everyone by surprise. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to go with. Um, I feel like maybe he, so he's obviously got the cold, but he's got so many stresses going on right now. Like I can't even imagine the stress I would feel if I was attracted to someone, but I knew that just me being there was putting their life in danger and go through this roller coaster of emotions within just days. Like I like you, but you can't be here. So let's have this transaction and be done. But we said our goodbyes and now we see each other again. Like, you know, he is sick, but I feel like all of this does like manifest almost, you know, physically and I don't think he's ever been this sick. And that's probably why everyone's like, oh my gosh, like, are you faking it? Are you faking it? Because he really is under so much stress right now. And you have this cold and it probably does make it like 10 times worse. Like for him to pass out, like, I'm sure, yeah, it had something to do with the cold that he had, but also with everything else that he's experiencing mentally, emotionally. And then you add on, you know, the physical illness, like it's probably so much for Toro. <laughs> so I think that also um, the reason that he maybe was not sick until now is he didn't let get anything get under his skin. He didn't allow anything to penetrate like his defenses that he put up. So he was just like, okay, I'm going to be cold. I'm going to be heartless. Nothing matters to me. And then Poppy did get under her skin and she does matter. So he, he can't let it slide off of him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy that Lily put in that, you know, I never faked anything because up to this point, she has repeatedly or he has repeatedly uh, made the point that he's not dishonest about anything, basically, and has never been dishonest with Poppy. So she kind of uh, that dialogue just kind of underscores that point that he hasn't ever faked anything. Honesty is really important to him. Yeah, 100 percent. So I also think the phrase that she says, don't get your panties in a twist now. That was, I thought, like a typical Torah statement to make because it's innuendo and bantering at the same time. I was surprised that Poppy did that. That's a, a sweet shot, too, um, of Torah laying on the floor with his head in Poppy's lap. Um, and it makes me wonder. So it was hinted and we've seen him sleep on the floor before. Um, but I think it just shows that how safe he feels with Poppy because he's showing her, even though he told her, what was it? One or two chapters ago, he doesn't sleep on the floor, but he's showing her that he actually does sleep on the floor. And this is where he feels most comfortable. Like you would think that if he wanted to use Poppy as a pillow, he, he would, he would lay down on the couch and Poppy would sit on the couch with him, but he doesn't feel comfortable there. Yeah. Which is sad. I was uh, reading on Facebook how people who were um, friends with, with Beth, um, we're talking about how they have so much PTSD that they don't feel safe with, um, near open windows. Like we've talked about that, but like to hear that from people who, um, you know, their friends were experiencing that, like one person said that they, their friends have felt like this in a closet, like on the floor of a closet because they were enclosed. And they said like, there were people who were killed when they were near windows and things would fly in through windows and kill their friends. Like, wow, that's so heartbreaking. It is. So that's a, it gave a little bit more of a, understanding of why Tora feels that way because you know when we think of sleeping on the floor it feels just immensely uncomfortable I think it's kind of sweet that he wants to continue that physical connection with her you know get over here so like you can be my pillow not not ready to let her go yep it's great that he he's at that level of like I deserve this and I can ask her for it okay so she tells him they say when sick children go to bed grumpy they wake up with a twisty nose which um, I've never heard of that, so it must not be like a Western thing. It might be an Asian thing. <laughs> and then I she tried looking at, it up. I couldn't find anything about it. 
<laughs> Maybe it's a Lily's family thing. <laughs> so she looks down and she sees the strawberry tie in his hair. And, oh, this next panel is so sweet. You know, Tora sells like bullshit to her, you know, that legend, whatever that, that uh, urban thing. And she's putting her hand through his hair. This is what we've all been hoping for. Like several panels of that. And it's so sweet. Oh. God. It's, I'm not going to think about that too much because it's very attractive. <laughs> it's cute that she brings up the child's, um, you know, the child's warning because it this it's kind of a intro into, you know, her her kind of sort of mom and him up here, and and then it segues into him. He regresses in his dream to that child, so it's kind of a nice lead in. Oh, wow, I haven't really even caught that. Something that I thought when I saw this is he doesn't fight her on the. When a uh, child goes stuffy nose, um, as soon as I read that, I thought Forrester would be like, I'm not a kid or something like that. You know what I mean? But his response was like, bullshit, that's not true. And he completely, like, not necessarily ignored, but didn't even notice that, you know, she called him a kid. And that makes me feel, makes me think like he's comfortable with her, you know, and that kid side of him can be there. And I don't know, like, like it is his safe space, you know, being with Poppy and he can be that child and she can take care of him. Wow. I love that. That's yeah. great. So she tells him that she just made that up. And then she asks, are you still feeling cold? And he's like, yeah, give me your body heat. <laughs> now she, she mirrors <laughs> what Tora said to her at Alice's restaurant. She says, well, aren't you a feisty one when you're sick? Which is what, you know, Tora told her, aren't you a feisty one when, when she looked at me? That's right. <laughs> So they're both picking things up from each other. Now, this is, um, somebody pointed this out on Patreon and then, is it on my page, four pages of notes? Maybe, maybe not, I don't remember. But where Poppy says, I bet Quincy did this while he while he slept. She's saying, you know, um, she was hoping that like, at some point Poppy will get to the stage where she can look at that hair tie and say, you know, Tora did this because he appreciates me and I matter in his life, rather than Quincy doing it like kind of for fun. Because Poppy still has, and we'll see this later in the episode, she still has feelings of self-doubt where she doesn't think that, you know, Tora could really be into her. It's just like a little ludicrous given how he behaves around her, but okay. Yeah, and I was actually wondering if Quincy did that or not, um, because in one of the previous chapters, I don't remember if it was, I think it was two chapters ago, Tora, like, oops, sorry, notices that he has a hair tie in his hair, and he's like, when did I tie my hair up? So I don't know if if Quincy actually did it or if Tora did it, but to your point... um, I wish Poppy could just see how much Tora is attracted to her and is so into her. He has it. I think that's like the point, Poppy. He has your hair tight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he didn't finish it. So now she tells him, she's like, but don't get get too comfortable now. My legs will probably fall asleep before you do. And this expression that Tora has on his face, um, to me, I feel like he's already, he's let his guard down and he's, his like real emotions are coming to the front up already. Like it's very, to me, it's going back to that trauma already, even before the dream that he's about to have. Maybe, I mean, obviously he had the dream right before she walked in as well. But to me, it's like a very sad, a little bit bitter, not the exact word, something, something, some kind of negative emotion. I'm not getting a rip on exactly how to describe it, but it's like a vulnerability that he's never shown around Poppy and she doesn't really see him necessarily she might be looking down, but I don't think she can see his expression. But I think it's really a good step that he's able to even ex- let his face be that slack and that, that honest around her. It's kind of where the words and the pictures, uh, the 
contradict a little bit because she says, but don't get too comfortable now. And he immediately falls asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also find it so relaxing when someone plays with my hair. I really Mm -hmm. love it. It feels so good. So I don't, I don't blame him for falling asleep so quickly, but I think it also just underscores again, like we've been saying, how comfortable and safe he feels around Poppy. Yeah. it's, It's very wonderful to see that, you know, like the, it's only two weeks in, but the fact that, that he can feel so comfortable in the next panel within a second, he's, he's out and his beautiful eyelashes are there. Oh, I'm melting <laughs> beyond gorgeous. Anyway, so he gets back into the dream now and swish, 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 swish. And we originally, um, last time we thought the swish might be somebody beating him, but luckily it's not. It's actually the waves. So we switched to this gorgeous, like unbelievably beautiful beach. Um, it's filled with light and there's a lot of greenery around there and you see a truck and then the truck has like a beach umbrella on it and maybe like a beach chair and it's a pickup truck. And then you see this little boy, little boy's shoes come out with a thud out of the truck. The shoes are dirty. The pants are dirty. And, you know, we, we guess pretty, pretty fast that it's Torah. And again, you see the truck, you see a little bit of the ocean, you hear more swish and then you see little baby Torah and we're always going to call him Baby Tori. He's not a baby. He's a child, but whatever. Baby Tori. And he's wearing the same dino shirt that he was wearing when he was in the cage, when Vincent was telling him, you're stuck here. You're not going to the beach with me. And he's climbing out. He's looking around. He's this adorable little kid. He's got his, you know, his gorgeous eyes, his black hair, but he's cute. He's little. He's like six, seven, right? What would you say? Yeah, somewhere around yeah, about six. Pay around yeah yeah and he's um this question on his face he's like kind of like wondering a little bit you know scared timid and he's looking at this gorgeous beach you know this first the first thing he's looking at is actually the open ocean which is um you know there's mountains in the background there's like there's some plants on the surf there's the surf there's the sand it's beautiful and then the second thing he looks at is this house this house with a canoe and we very quickly find out that that is the Bollyman's like beach home, I guess. And he thinks to himself, he says, so this is what it looks like. And he's all dirty. His shirt is dirty. His hair, face is dirty. Um, really quite sad to see this neglected child. It's quite a juxtaposition also because the beach is so pristine and so beautiful and relaxing. And then Tora is so dirty. And as we get further along, we see he's like kind of stressed out and Obviously, going back, he was just locked up in a cage. Presumably, this is the same, like, thought process or, like, the same chain of events that's happening. So he was just locked up. He's like, it's so in contrast to where he is. Yeah. And yeah. actually, if you think about it, like, it's, well, you know, if, if this is, like, the Bald Eman Beach, he takes better care of his objects and he takes care of his, like, his people. Yeah. If I had to pick uh, one word for these images of the landscape around him it would be peaceful which yeah. you know i'm imagining he doesn't get that much of uh in town right now um the thing i found was interesting right i wasn't quite sure of the timeline the first time i read it but afterwards i did now i'm going looking through my notes to see who i can quote because at this point i realized i remember what people said i just I'm trying to remember who said it but basically the fact that torah managed to you know he was just locked in a cage and you know Vincent told him you're not going to the beach but Torah managed to escape the cage and climb onto a truck that was headed to the beach 
he is a determined young man, even as a young person. So you can see why Vincent, you'll see later, chose him because he has this independence and this cleverness and strength of spirit back then, even. Not trying to find who said it. But wait, because this isn't a memory necessarily. He's in a dream. So in dreams, we just pop up, you know, you know, and suddenly you're in the car you're here and suddenly you're there. So in the dream, he could have just appeared on the beach. He didn't actually necessarily escape in memory. It could be. I do. I do lean towards the side of that. Everything except for Poppy and that the, anything to do with Poppy is is real. I think that is that is a memory. That's that's what I intuit. And, you know, I, but I, I understand that's kind of how I feel, too. I don't know if you guys um, saw this, but I posted on one of the Facebook groups a few days ago how um, I had a dream where I was using algebra to try to determine the plot <laughs> I remember to that. Midnight Populant. And <laughs> so in my life at that moment, even now, so I'm like obsessing over Midnight Populant and, you know, going over these chapters and analyzing and finding new, you know, Easter eggs and whatnot, uh, but I'm also very, I guess not overwhelmed, but really busy with school too. <laughs> and so when I had that dream, two very real things in my life at the moment were manifesting themselves while I was asleep. So I think maybe this is something that's happening to Torah where he is having a nightmare because, you know, if this is something that he really did go through, it's not a dream, it's a nightmare. And I think he's experiencing reliving, you know, those memories as nightmares. But there's also that present and what's going on right now manifesting itself and intertwining within those memories and within those yeah. nightmares. And by the way, I, I found in my notes, it was Millennial Pink who was noticing. Um, I mean, I noticed it too, but Millennial Pink also highlighted that, um, he, you know, he was not broken. The irony is that Martin said, oh, if he's not broken yet, I'll break him. And he's not like, and he still hasn't been. But yeah, determined little guy. So he's looking closer at the at the house and he thinks to himself, Mr. Botman must be over there and that Quincy brat, which is cute. You know, he's a little brat himself too. Like it's a little young to be calling other little kids brat. But you know, apparently Quincy was I think Tora is even already at that point reflective enough to to evaluate people, even though like Quincy is what, like maybe two or three years younger than him. Um and, you know, to understand people's kind of like characters, you know, the fact that he can call him a brat means I think also that he values at that, at that very young age, people being, you know, not unselfish, um, not drama kings, mature, you know, the things that he already has to be, right? He recognizes that Quincy isn't that already. I think it's pretty smart of him. It's interesting too, and I'm, when this panel says so what it looks so this is what it looks like and then the next one and the next one at the very edge of the line there it's it sort of fades or gets dreamy or fuzzy or misty i guess um it's it's kind of like emphasizing that the dreamscape in all those panels like where he's the one we were just talking about too see how it kind of just fades into mist at the edges of his vision or at the edges of what he can see. Are you looking at the panel of the house with the canoe? Um, that one, but uh, starting up by, so this is what it looks like. And then you go down, there's that uh, mist oh. over the house. And then behind him, when he's thinking Mr. Baltimore must be over there, 
see how there's kind of that mist. It just it just seems more like a dreamscape because of that, as opposed to though it'd be very easy to have those mountains be clear, a very clear horizon line. But instead, it's that mist. That's kind of cool. I didn't. I mean, it, it's really cool. I didn't uh, notice that before we were talking about it here. You know, it's funny. I feel like Peg, you're very good at picking up on the visual cues. So I kind of noticed it, but I didn't. Um, I didn't like not notice it like in the background, my subconscious. I didn't think to to articulate it. But thank you. You're very. I know you pick up a lot on the visual cues. So thank you. So next we have Taurus stomach saying "gur," and then he he poor guy. He like holds his belly and he said "hungry." Poor guy. I know. It made me chuckle. That was really cute way to depict that his stomach is growling. I'd never thought of a stomach actually growling before. It's like, Lily, you're so cute. But then I made it made me sad that he's hungry. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. me apart. Two neglect signals. He's dirty. He's hungry. And, you know, he's thinking, will they give me some food, right? He doesn't know even, like, what he, his life is not predictable. He doesn't know the pattern of their behavior yet. And he's reliant on them. You know, he's not thinking like, will I find some food? He really, he already did transfer. We'll, we'll see in a minute how long he's been with the volumes at this point. But I found it interesting. He already transferred his reliance on them. So in a way he really aligned himself to them and like feels like now, now they're his, his family and his support. I was surprised that he kind of adapted so quickly into that. So, but yeah, he still doesn't know if they'll give him food. It's still a question. Yeah. Which is really, so you know, this shows that he doesn't, they haven't been reliable with food. So, um, you know, I realized also, by the way, when in real life, you know, we have pauses for like emotion feeling, but like I realized on the podcast, this actually worked to have pauses. So I know we, I, I'm going to skip over the like, we feel things and we're going to go straight to talking. <laughs> so now we hear Torah in the background. And who is the one saying Torah? Torah looks around again, a shot of his dirty shoes, little child shoes. And then you have this cute, cute, cute image of baby Torah looking over his shoulder. And, you know, this, I think, you know, really makes him as innocent as possible because just to show the contrast between the, we see here, it's Poppy, right? The, the Torah that Poppy knows, the adult, the aggressive, this intimidating Torah, and like the Torah that is inside, the childlike, innocent, completely vulnerable Torah. And this really adorable um, frame of him, he's not scared. He's curious. He's looking around um, to see who's calling him. And I think it's interesting that Poppy, when she speaks, it's not like the, um, I don't know how to describe it. It has like those lines coming out, like the the wavy, like hazy lines coming from her speech bubbles. So is she like t- talking to him or thinking these thoughts in his dream? I don't, I don't know how he's perceiving her talking to him because um, her speech bubbles are drawn differently. Right. I think it's just showing that it's kind of like entering from outside of his world in a way, because it's not his memory. It's now like his imagination slash his feelings. You know, this is like the present day Torah bringing in his current life into his memories. So now we see an image of Poppy. And Poppy is, she's on the beach in the yellow sundress. Her hair is flowing behind her in the wind. And, you know, quite a lot of people talked about the the color of her dress. So we have moment to locate my notes. (laughs) We have Luigi, or Luigi, who was saying how yellow is the color of happiness, but it's also the color of caution, because he has to be very cautious with how Poppy can be a part of his life. And uh, Miles, JJ, Molly, also pointed out, like, she's the ray of sunshine in his life. Serpentine, Serpentina was talking about how it's um, color optimism and also spontaneity and whimsy, which is very much Poppy. Poppy is all about that. 
And Elizabeth Morley was also talking about how in Feng Shui, yellow is the color of bright life. And then um, she was also talking about Torah's outfit because Torah's wearing green and green is a sign of, you know, it's, it's plant life. So it's growth and change and becoming something new. So she was talking about how green could possibly, the fact that Torah is wearing green could symbolize that happy coming into his life. This is a time for him to, to be growing and to be changing and to get a new life. It's interesting because I was looking, I was like, why are we looking at the shoes and pants? So the detail of the shoes right before you see Poppy, um, his pants are rolled up and his, the green shirt is pretty roomy. So it's like his clothes don't fit him very well. Um, but, and that this could totally be me just, she's kneeling there. She's got this bright yellow uh, bag on the couch. And so I, you know, in the when he was in the cage, he was barefoot and he had maybe brown pants, maybe gray pants. But now he's got these bright yellow pants and the uh, that sort of warm brown, which to me evokes that that panel with the bright yellow um, bag and I don't know the brown, maybe her hair color. But it just kind of ties it back to that to him in that room sleeping. That's a great point. I, I didn't I didn't think about that, but that's. That's very true, like how we've taken details from current life and put them in our dream. And mm -hmm. actually, did, there was a discussion about shoes, which here, um, Sign00 was talking about how the, you remember back in episode five when um, he comes out of, the, he bring, Tor brings those two guys that he apprehended in Goliath's apartment to Vincent to the meeting, and Vincent kills them, and then when he steps outside, there's, you see the the new white shoes and Lily says white shoes and you know, his shoes are ruined with blood, right? So symbolizing like he can't basically get away from it no matter what, like he's always, even if he wants to have a fresh white start, he has, he's back to that violence. But, you know, Torah's never, no matter what Torah does to try to, you know, break away, his, he's just trapped in that light. And like his shoes here are also dirty. You know, it's a symbol, like shoes are obviously something that we, like the foundation, you know, they help us have firm grounding and like even down to that, Torah can't have a stable, solid, good grounding. Can't have nice things. And yet Poppy's barefoot, which is interesting. Well, I think to, to me that just represents that she's just a free person. She's very mm -hmm. um, in tune with nature. She's relaxed. She's calm. She's carefree. She's easygoing. And, you know, all things that Torah can't have. Torah is much more uptight. Um, going along a little bit more about the color, because um, I was also reading some of those um, comments on Patreon about Poppy's um, yellow dress. And I was like, okay, is there anything else that yellow means? Um, and according to borncreative.com, in different cultures, yellow has different meanings. In some cultures, yellow represents peace. In Japan, yellow stands for courage. So like everything that we've talked about, what this yellow dress could mean, I feel like really fits, really applies to Poppy as a person and Tori's perception, Tori, Tora's perception of Poppy uh -huh. and what she represents to him in his life. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, it's That's been used cute. before that golden colors around her in different episodes before as well right well somebody was actually noticing you know toro's beautiful golden eyes could also represent his heart of gold which is something that he has mm -hmm. i also just realized i'm wearing the exact same dress poppy's wearing <laughs> i was just thinking that i'm like is it weird <laughs> if i mentioned I mean, that i wear like i have a very limited outfit like a wardrobe because I, I don't like have too much stuff so i pretty much wear like i have like five things and i wear them the same week on rotation every week so it's not surprising I'm wearing this, but like, yeah, that is funny. 
I feel I feel privileged. <laughs> so now Tor Poppy tells him she first of all she has her first look at him is kind of there's a panel where she's just looking at him with a kind of a somber look on her face. And I like that because to me that shows that she's contemplating him and she's looking at him as a person. She's taking the time to evaluate him and to see him. And then in this next panel, she has this little bit of a shy movement. You know, she's tucking her hair. And we're seeing her how he sees her too in his dream. Yeah, These her hair kind of is different. Strings that move movement in the in her hair. Yeah, it's a gorgeous image. And yeah, there's a there's a whole long Venus thing that we're going to get into in a bit about Poppy. But I want to first do the, the seashell part because that relates to that. So she's holding in her hand, look, Torah, I found the seashells. And she has six seashells in her hand. And she tells him, you were hoping to find some at the beach today, weren't you? And, you know, showing them out. And Torah is excited. He says seashells. You know, he gets very excited. He's a little blush on his face. He is this really cute, cute image. Like, you know, and at first you think you're like, okay, you know, he's a kid, he wants seashells, but there's a lot to unpack about the seashells. Let's first finish the whole sequence and then we'll go into the whole theory one-on-one. And then he gives that look to, um, he looks sideways and he's looking at, he says, I'm not allowed to talk to strangers, <laughs> which again, a superficial reading, you're like, he's a kid. He says he's not allowed to talk to strangers, but no, this is like his whole fear of, what's outside of the world that I have now? Right now I have the world of the Bottomans and you're from the outside world. Can I trust you? And, you know, Poppy gets insulted first. She's like, oh, am I a stranger to you? Which yeah, I think also reflects that Torah is, Torah understands how hurt she was by how he um, walked right past her, like at the restaurant, you know, how first they had this connection and then he ignored her. So I think that is reflecting some of that. But now Torah's response, you know, even baby Torah, baby Torah, like this is, really adult Torah, he's like, hey, don't start crying again. You know, he's, he's just so sensitive to her and doesn't want her to start crying, even in, in his dream when he's being a child. Like, even in his child state, he just doesn't want people to cry and he cares about her. And now this next part is amazing. She tells him, well, that's okay. I'll just give these to you and then I'll leave. And, you know, Torah is, he he pauses for a bit. He looks like very much in anguish in that in that panel. He like he looks indecisive. He doesn't want that to happen. And then you see why. He looks back at the house and he says, he thinks to himself, you know, this is this is my home, right? This is this is the place that he knows. And for him to, you know, open up to Poppy is like, is this a is this a viable life for me? Is this something that I can trust? Like, is this preferable to the home that I know? And a lot of people were pointing out, and let's see if I can find out, but where Torah is, you know, people who are, who are abused by their, their main caretaker, they still have an attachment to them because that's what they know. And also, you know, there's you form love for the people that take care of you, even if it's a small extent, even, and even if they hurt you. So this is Torah, you know, and his conflict. I would say there's a fear, too, associated with stepping away from the Baltimans, even at that that age or a dream Torah, you know, there's consequences that he would risk. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Millennial Pink was one of the people saying this as well. And now this next part shows Poppy's incredible wisdom. She tells him, I'll leave these over here, Torah. She puts them down on the beach and she says, you can come collect them when you feel safe too. And this is just incredible wisdom because she is not pushing him. And this is what she's doing in real life too. She's not pushing him for what he's not ready for. 
if he's not ready for a relationship and he's not sure whether he can be with her, she says, I'm putting it down. It's your, it's your decision to make. You come when you want to. And, but then Torah, he quickly swivels around and he doesn't want her to go. He says, wait, what if they get washed away by the tide? Which is something that he is, you know, he's really worried about. And if you, some other people were saying about these seashells, that one thing that they could be, they're like kind of like the souvenirs that he collects. The same thing, same way he collected a um, the ring and the bracelet from Joe and the hair tie from her, he's been collecting only the like kind of mementos of people. And he hasn't been actually able to access them and to keep the, the actual person around. But And he's worried that they will fade away and they won't be, you know, they won't be with him. Luigi was the one who said that they're um, that they're souvenirs, and he's worried about you know the water coming to wash it away, time coming to take it away, it fading into the great abyss. And but now you see there's this beautiful shot. The the waves come over, and they go over the seashells, but then they leave, and the seashells are still there. And Poppy tells him they won't be washed away if you keep them in your heart. But now, baby Tora says, and this is I think like a real. A real clinching point. It's a turning point for Torah because he says, what if that's not enough for me? And he's completely distraught. And he's finally realizing, you know, back on the porch um, on the balcony with, with Poppy when he was saying, what if there's another way of life for me? I think this is a, a very similar moment where he says, what if it's not enough for me? Like, what if this is not what I want? What if I'm done with just having to contend with memories of people? What if I actually want to have a real, a real good life with them? And then Poppy at this point is starting to fade out. She says, then maybe you'll have to choose. And that look on her face is very much, it's a little bit like her, she's pursing her lips and she herself looks a little tense in that photo. And I think because she, you know, at least in the dream, you know, is sad about the possibility of Tor not choosing her, but, but she's letting him choose and she's prompting him to choose. She's telling him, this is something you have to do. It's a decision you have to make. Oh. There is a lot, a lot to unpack in, in this sequence. Yeah, let's start doing some discussing before we get to the, the next part because there's already already a lot to discuss here. I'll let you guys okay. go first and then we'll, we'll go through all the comments that people have said. Okay. Um, I'm scrolling back up, looking at it. We talked about her dress color. Um, so I'm so curious what the seashells represent. And there's a lot of speculation on Patreon and on Facebook and um, some of my own thoughts as well. Uh, I looked up uh, a couple things online to see what seashells could possibly represent. Um, but before I did, I was like, there's six. Is there something significant about the number six? Is it maybe there are people, important people in Torah's life? And I was like, who could the six be? I don't know. Goliath, Alice, Joe, Quincy, you, Vincent? I don't know. Or maybe people we don't know yet. Poppy could be one of them. I don't know. Um, according to the website, AuntieFlow.com, shells and dreams represent being hard on the outside, but soft in the inside. So maybe it's just a collection of like Torah, different ways that he's tried to protect himself. Yeah, I have a lot more thoughts, but I don't want to monopolize the time so what do you ladies think well you know let's I mean, let's share a lot of thoughts like we time is not the issue so but yeah let's, let's focus on the seashells now let's let's talk about what the seashells represent um i have a bunch of notes here but let's hear from you guys first so okay my thoughts have changed a little bit now that i've heard what you all have to share but initially what i thought is that the seashells were representing of like giving her full self 
um, her love, her patience, her care, um, just giving her full genuine self to him. Like, I thought that's different, you know, she's like, okay, um, I'll leave these here. It kind of reminded me of how they said their goodbyes and everything. She was still willing to be in his life. She didn't question, like, you know, after they ran into each other, she still continued to see him and she went to nurse him. And take, so she, she was still there. You know what I mean? And I, and that's what my mind went to like, okay, the seashells are poppy, you know, and all the goodness in her saying, Hey, Tora, I'm here. Do you want it? Or do you not want it boy? You know? Um, but it's here for the taking. If you decide oh, that this is what you want. I really like that because I was wondering why it was poppy presenting the seashells right. and not Tora finding the seashells. So that could be related to it. It could be Poppy saying, I'm still here for you. Um, I love all this because it's, in fact, I did a little, it's interesting to me how there is no one answer to it. To it. You know, it's so ambiguous. And so I think that's part of why MPL is so um, alluring and magical and engaging is because each reader brings themselves to it. So, but anyways, with the, with this sequence, it's, it was really interesting to me because there's not, there's so many layers of symbols. Like in this whole episode, I was thinking a lot about water, the symbol of water. So there's the water obviously here, then there's water in the rainstorm, then there's water in the puddle later on, but water, water, water. But in like, it's so layered in this dream sequence because water has its own symbolism. But then there's the symbolism of the ocean, which is another layer, uh, which is intimately connected to seashells, of course. But then there's also the beach itself is a boundary between the land and between the ocean. So you've got all these layers of meaning in this little this little dream sequence. I I read the shells as representing Torah, representing his hopes or representing his his, uh, you know, when everybody's defining you, that you have something deep inside you that you want and you keep for yourself and it's, it's your secrets. You don't tell anybody you, it's your, your goals or dreams, or I don't know, those words aren't the greatest, but that might be why he got so upset when she was like, well, I'll just put them down here for you. It's like, no, if I can't hold them, you keep them safe. I don't want you to just leave them, you know? I mean, I don't know if you if we've collected seashells, you know, when the wave comes, it moves it a little bit and then it moves it a little bit more and it kind of drags it back into the water over a few waves. So that first wave moved it a little bit and he kind of panicked, you know, so that's that's how I read this. And to me, the seashells and the ocean itself are so connected to the feminine Interesting. I didn't think about the ocean, but I know like for me and for, I think for a lot of people, the ocean represents the unknown and mm -hmm. it's an unknown quantity. It's, it's both very powerful, but also very dangerous. And, you know, Torah doesn't know what's going to happen and it's, it can overwhelm him. It can be used as a tool for the good, but something he doesn't know, doesn't know what's going to, how it's going to affect his life. And if I can go back to the seashells for a little bit, um, Emily was talking about how in Feng Shui, um, seashells are a home, which obviously makes sense because they're, they're a home for our sea animals. And, you know, Poppy is offering him a home and their protection, protection from the outside world, right? It's a hard shell protecting the soft inside. 
And another thing I thought of, I thought about, and other people thought about as well, was that they are. Um, well, Serpentina Shana was pointing this out a lot. They're a symbol of rebirth because when you're ready to move on and you're you've grown beyond your shell, you're going to be you shed that shell and you you grow you grow another one. And this is a pivotal point for Torah where he can shed the old old shell and become a new person. But he has to choose that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of going on that same vein, another website I was reading about seashell symbolism uh, was femalefirst.co.uk. Um, they were saying to see a shell in a dream represents your need or desire to be protected or sheltered from something in your waking life. Perhaps you're closing yourself off to those dearest to you and keeping your feelings and emotions inside. So it could be related to Torah, like unconsciously in his dream, realizing that he, like you said, has the shell he needs to discard or wants to discard. He doesn't know if he can yet. Um, shells are from the sea, so they are thought to represent the unconscious mind. If you have been ignoring what's buried deep down inside, it might be the ideal moment to bring it to the surface and explore those feelings or motivations. If the shell was hard, then you may have developed strong defense mechanisms to protect yourself from harm. By doing this, are you blocking out those you don't want to hurt or you don't want to hurt you? Those who want to love you, but you won't let yourself be emotionally available to them, um, which he's had to do his entire life. But Poppy is starting to break down that wall with him. And it seems like he wants it, but he's also very nervous about that idea. You can see in this dream sequence, he's, he doesn't want to talk to strangers. He doesn't want Poppy to leave. He doesn't want to put her, doesn't want her to put the seashells down. Oh, it's, he's so ambivalent, but I, I, it feels like he's stuck. Like he feels stuck. Oh, um, um, there's a little bit more. Sorry, it uh, goes on and says, shells are discarded from some marine animals, so it's possible you feel you are no longer needed um, or that you no longer need something in your waking life. Kind of like what you were just saying, Mindy, like it's time to discard something. Alternatively, if you were there collecting shells on a beach, you may find great treasure where other people see waste, or perhaps you see the best in people when others see the worst first. Um, so going back to why does Poppy have the seashells? Maybe it's because she sees the best in Torah and that's something new for him. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> kind of go off of that though. Cause I did wonder too. I'm like, why does Poppy have the seashells? And so I remember growing up in LA, um, we always go to the beach. The beaches are cold. They're not the greatest, but we used to love finding seashells and it's not easy. Like if you're looking for seashells, you have to, you know, dig in the sand. Um, most often you'll find some that look very similar. So you really have to look for those special ones that you want. And that's very telling to Poppy's character because we know her life hasn't been all, um, you know, fun and perfect. Like she has had struggles herself, but she still somehow manages to be positive. And that's something that I actually admire a lot of Poppy. Um, that's definitely not the person that I am, but it is the person that I aspire to be, you know, that even amidst all, you know, the hardship and struggles, she always finds a way to learn a lesson and find a, you know, do the hard work. She's been through the hard work, but she still finds the most beautiful things in it all, you know, and she's found these seashells and they're, and they're, they all look different, you know, and that's, probably me thinking too deep into it but it's um and she brings them and she's like hey you know here this beautiful thing you know do you want it 
So I want to talk a little bit about the number six because um, I didn't think about the number at all. I'm not, I didn't notice that, but there were um, people who did talk about this. Now, um, see if I got her name, Serpentina Shana. So she talked about how the sixth card on the tarot deck, now I don't know anything about tarot, so I'm just like repeating what she said. She talked about it's the, how it's the lover's card. And it represents that you have, they'll have to make a decision and physical and emotional healing. So I don't know anything about tarot, so pardon my ignorance, but I'm just repeating what she said, which I think, you know, is, is relevant. And she talked about how in numerology, six is a number that apparently represents a striving for harmony and that when people crave stability and security, they, they go for six. Um, hmm. Possibly because six is like even divisible. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting and just quoting that. Hmm. And maybe that's why um, when the tide comes and takes uh, one of the seashells kind of out of frame, it is even more distressing for Torah if it's if this number six has that symbolism. Right now it's five, so it's like out of balance. So I want to talk about. Did you guys see the long discussion about the Venus, um, the rising of Venus, the birth of Venus by um, Botticelli? I didn't see it, but I know the image and the yeah. Yes, so there was a long discussion about this. This was Bianca and Claudia, um, sorry, and Clyde, Clyde D'Souza and Anna Amalia. So they talked a lot about this. And why can't I find it in my notes? Basically how the, the birth of Venus, oh, here it is, by Botticelli. And also we had, sorry, um, Miss T also talked about this. How basically Venus is the goddess of love. I'm, I'm not into Greek myths or, or Roman myths, so... Um, I'm just repeating and I feel like, um, I'm, you know, maybe out of my depth, but, um, I thought it was very fascinating. And she is typically connected with, uh, Mars who is the God of war and which typically, you know, seems to be, you know, pretty symbolic. Poppy is, is the goddess of Venus and, and Torah is the, is the war, the war God. And Venus, uh, millennial Pink talked about how Venus is born from her father's castration and Torah, this might be representing how Torah might need to cut off his dad figure, his Vincent, he might need to basically symbolically cut him off in order to to ha allow Poppy to be reborn and to like come into his life. And she, um, Bianca was also talking. Like, Bianca um, was also talking about how if you go back to the episode thirty six where Pat, where Tor, uh, Vincent smashed the statue, um, the the cherub, right? So he was smashing innocence, right? He was smashing like Torah, innocent Torah at that point. So now you see here, Poppy is like restoring it with her, with her innocence and her beauty. And, um, and she's bringing out, she's calling out the child in him. Like she's like, she's being reborn. She's like this uh, goddess figure. And, you know, cause like he was the angel in heaven. She's the goddess and she's calling out to the child within him. So she's restoring that innocence that he has. Oh, that is so beautiful. And uh, I'm going to come back to that point later towards the end of the episode. Right. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, well, we do we have anything more to say before we move on to the move on to a little bit more? Um, you... Yeah. I, um, first of all, I love Serpentina Shana's comments, and she's amazing, and I love listening to all of her knowledge. Um, 
I was just thinking how this sequence plays out. Do you remember you just, uh, Mindy, you were talking about on the balcony when he said, what if there's another way? You know, that's kind of like his secret. So let's say the the interesting ways to interpret it, but let's say those shells represent the other way, his secret goal, right? So why is it in Poppy's hands? Because she key to him finding that other way out. So then she says, I'm going to leave them right here. And he's like, no, no, no. And then she said, well, you can just keep it in your heart. And he's like, that's not good enough for me right now anymore. You know, I, I want to really get out. I, I want to really. So I, I don't know. I just, when I, when I plugged that in as the meaning of the shells, it kind of uh, worked in my head anyways. But yeah, then she just starts disappearing into the mist and we're back to the shoes getting right, bigger. This is really great because it leads into, you know, we, you know, Poppy tells him you have a choice and here he's making the choice. You know, he starts out with the child shoes and then it grows into a little bit, you know, bigger child shoes and he says, wait, and then it's adult shoes and it says Poppy. So he's walking towards her and he's made his choice. Poppy. Enough to at least walk further to her. You know, I don't think he's, he says, Poppy, I want you. I, I'm going to maybe be in your life. But he's, he wants her enough to walk towards her. And she, at this point, is fading away. Her eyes, you can't no longer see her eyes and her, and her nose. She's fading away. And this next panel you see is adult Torah in child clothing. He's wearing the same dirty clothes. His face is dirty. And he has those, he has those you know, he has, he has the physique of an adult. And then he has those broad shoulders and the, and the muscular arms and the tattoos. But there's still something very, very childlike about his face. He's yelling Poppy Land, and his face is kind of a bit of a combination of the younger Torah with the wide eyes and um, the expressiveness that we've never seen on Torah before. Torah has never showed us this level of graphic emotion. And Christina Egan was saying how this panel really hit her hard, and she realized it's because Torah, who's never afraid of anything, the one who intimidates everybody else, here he's afraid. And that's why it's so, it's such a reversal. It so it hits you so hard. This is the closest, this panel is the closest I've come to crying in Midnight Poppy Land. Like, obviously I feel affected by this comic and it pulls up my heartstrings and it makes me laugh. Um, but I've never cried. And I, I don't know, I guess I don't, don't easily cry when I'm reading things, but I came very close to every time I see it. I get very moved. It's so sad. He's afraid. He's so sad. Ugh. Um, and going back to some Patreon comments, um, Emily Basso on Patreon was saying in Feng Shui, so you, you mentioned that she had mentioned the, the seashells represent a comfortable home and a feeling of contentment. So Tora was hoping to find some of that beach. Um, the little boy that hopped into the truck that was headed into the beach, he, he got out of his cell. And the first thing he did was follow after the man who put him in, in that cell. Um, and Emily's saying, I can't even blame him because he's being taught that this life is better than the one he had at the orphanage. We see in a couple of panels, he was at an adoption center. We see Vincent's father-like demeanor as repulsive because we know what he is. Um, we see how manipulative Vincent is. Now look at it through the lens of a little boy who just wants to be loved. He wants a home. He wants contentment and security. And now Poppy is offering that. She is the safe harbor that that beach never was for him. Yep. Oh, Emily, that was so profound. And right, yes. we, you know, we know, we as adults know that Vincent is a terrible human being and that he shouldn't go to turn to Vincent for, for love and affection and, and a fatherly figure. But little boy, little boy uh, Torah doesn't know that. Now, adult Torah and what adult Torah is thinking is, do I leave the, the life that I've known 
where he know he knows that it's a near impossible, impossible to leave the clan and you know not be shot or killed or whatever in some way. But should I should I leave that life that I've known for a life with Poppy who's offering me love? Whew. Yeah, and then for a second, continuing continuing Emily's um, post. Emily, thank you so much. I hope you don't mind that I'm quoting you. Um, and for a second, he so he has to choose between this mafia life and Poppy. And for a second, he does choose. Um, he chooses Poppy. But then Martin, taking us to the next panel, slithers in and pulls him right back into his childhood fears, his learned behavior. Yep. And I think it's significant that in this second panel, right after this heart-wrenching panel of Torah calling after Poppyland, um, Torah's still adult Torah in this next panel. Found you, you little effer. He's ah, but it's still adult Torah. It doesn't immediately take him back to the child Torah, which I think says a lot that Torah still feels this fear and this pull and this very violent grip that the Baltimore clan has on him. A hundred percent. I was also thinking that. And I think uh, Millennial Pink was pointing out how maybe their significance that it's particularly is Martin. She said that, you know, Martin and his boys were the ones who were supposed to go after the notebook originally. And he was also upset at Torah that he was being, uh, you know, he had this vacation from the clan. So he, they, she was thinking that maybe Martin is going to be uh, essential in holding Torah, trying to keep him in the clan and trapping him in this lifestyle. Maybe he'll be the antagonist against Torah. That, that is interesting. And we, you know, some people have speculated, you know, is, um, is Martin related to Gil? Is Martin related to, to Ordine? And, you know, maybe it's Sinequali, maybe it's not, but whatever the case is, Martin definitely is an antagonizer over here. And ah, I- yeah, so someone else had this really interesting theory about Claude, where Claude and Shark are, are the two people, sorry about Shark, Claude and Shark are two people who were, um, are associated with, with Martin. They're like his acolytes. And she was saying, I'm trying to find who said it. I really want to like properly give credit to people. She was saying that their Torah may not have been, oh, we're going to talk a little bit about like Torah circumstances, but where, so I'm kind of a little preemptively jumping the gun, but where Torah may have sympathy for Shark and um, because he understands how he was raised and he understands that he was trained by Martin, by Vincent, and he could have been that had he not made a different choice. You know, Torah is is a moral person. And um, so she, she said how Torah never really expresses hatred towards Shark. He just, you know, knows to avoid him and people like him, which I thought was interesting that it's, it may be, you know, Torah is a sympathetic person and it could be that he understands that Claude is the person that he could have become if he hadn't stopped himself. Sorry, yeah, I found that really interesting too. Um, that was, I don't know how to pronounce that username, Rainus? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for finding it. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, thank you. It's it's an interesting juxtaposition that in the past, I don't know, 10 episodes or however many episodes, he's been working on his plan to get out of her life, right? And to execute that plan. And then is in the dream, he makes the opposite choice. He can't have mm-hmm. her leave. Right, The dream is what he really wants. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think too much about the ins and outs of the, the little guys in, in the Baltimore organization. But those are interesting right. points about them. Yeah, so now we see here, so Martin is telling him, he's grabbing onto his shoulder, and he says, don't know why the big boss picked you out of all the other runs who rounded up from the streets last month. So now we see, right, if Claude and Shark are also one of the, Claude not, because I think his, he said his family's been serving uh, for generations. 
but it's possible the shark is, you know, picked you up from all the little runs we rounded from the streets last month, which I can understand that, you know, if you pick people, kids up at a young age and you train them at a young age, that you can beat the humanity out of them. Now, a little bit, we're gonna, I actually want to tie it, I'll go into the next episode because he says, well, Martin says, keep, um, you know, Torres, you know, grabbing at him, he says, let me go. Martin says, keep pissing me off, we'll see what happens to you. Again, threat, he's not growing up in a safe environment. And then he tells him, maybe you regret running away from your adoption center now. So Torres ran away. And he, Torres, little Torres crying here, and he says, no, they weren't treating us right. And he's crying, he's pushing him away. And you see like kind of the helplessness in his face. But so Martin's like, oh, you do know what's good for you. So something I pointed out here, um, sorry, somebody else pointed out, where Torah has a very strong sense of justice, even at a young age. He's young, but he understands that they weren't treating him right there. And he ran away. He wasn't going to tolerate it. And I think that Torah, even now, he's very, very strongly moral. And he very firmly cares about like what's right and what's wrong. And that's why he hates himself. He hasn't become like Shark. He hasn't become a psychopath where he just doesn't care anymore. And he doesn't care about right or wrong. He has retained his humanity, even though it's harder, because now every time he does something bad, he hates himself even more and it, like digs into his heart afresh. If you stop caring, you stop caring, right? And then you you, uh, you move on. But Torah always has a very strong sense of justice and of right and wrong. And I'm trying to find who said that. While you're looking, um, it, it also shows that he must really have been so badly abused at the adoption center if the Baltimore clan is better than where he ran away from. Oh, um, Kati B was the one who said that. No, actually, sorry. Kati B was actually wondering that they didn't treat us right. She was wondering, a few people were wondering, maybe he's referring to us as Goliath as well. Oh. Possible. So um, I just kind of wanted to touch on that um, where Martin grabs baby Tora and then holding adult Tora. Um, my initial thoughts on that were, you know, when he's a baby, Martin obviously physically overpowered him and uh, he makes those you know heartbreaking comments of if he's not broken now we will break him um to me adult torah you know martin still having a, a grasp on him kind of reflected how he still controls like his emotional life his love life um he can't be with anybody he can't get close to anybody because they're he's gonna and it's not gonna end up good and that's not something that Torah can control. That's something that Martin and the clan are always going to control over his life. Oh, if you're going to get close to this person, you know, we can use that against you or that person's going to be in danger and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of what I took from it, taking it back. Yeah, and to your point, the emotional manipulation, Martin's, we're your family now. Yeah. Which is so twisted. Yeah, and it's really messed up. So I'm going to share a little bit about myself, you guys. Um and this is where I can relate to this piece of the story, hardcore, um, because I saw a lot of this behavior um, with my siblings. We didn't grow up in, you know, the, the best household and there was different types of abuse. And for a long time, I got to see my siblings go back, you know, to those people um, that were supposed to care for us um, because that was the safest place they had, which is really sad. You know, it's like there's all this abuse going on, but that's the safest place you have because similar to, you know, what Martin is telling Tora, um, you have a place to live, you have food, um, you have an education, you know, if you go out into the world, into the unknown, 
you don't know if you're going to have these things. And a little bit is better than nothing, you know, when, when you're in that situation. Um, and it kind of makes me realize. Um, so I grew up in a very, very violent household. One of the reasons we left LA is because there's violence everywhere. It's normal. You know what I mean? And so when I moved, we moved here to Utah and we saw, you know, people use their words, people talk, you know, through conflict, through argument. Um, it was a very different world. And it just makes me feel for Torah because he's so little, so, so little. And this is already what he's learning. And when you grow up in that type of environment, that is normal. You know, the violence, the abuse, it's just another day. And it's really sad that even, you know, in the real world, there are people who have to live life like this and there's no other alternative. That's, that's it. That's life. That's the norm. And it's not necessarily okay, but what are you going to do? You know what I mean? That's just how things are. And so, I don't know, I told you guys earlier, but this chapter really did resonate with me in more than one way. Thanks for sharing. That's really tough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's amazing that Lily can put this out there. And I don't know. It's, I don't know. It was, I didn't know going into it how I was going to take it. And it was, I don't know. It was a nice experience, you know, to be able to relate to it. And I, I just, I don't know how I can explain it. You know, it didn't, it wasn't. And I appreciate the trigger warning for that, you know, she put in there because I'm sure my reaction is not everybody's reaction. Um, but I was able to mentally prepare and be like, okay, what am I going into? You know, and if I'm going to do it, I got to do it with an open mind. And it was just amazing that she was able to put that in there. And even in, our, you know, my personal life, it helps me reflect, you know, how much I've grown and how far I've come as a person. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I do relate to Torah, Torah in that aspect of, you know, being that cycle breaker. It's not easy and it's a very lonely process. It really mm-hmm. is, but it's got to be done, you know, for you, for the people that you love. It's just something that you've got to do. Um, and it takes a lot of strength for sure. And I can see so much of that. Um, and I can see the roots of all that just in this episode. Wow. That's really powerful. I mean, you know, that, that might be an appropriate moment for a pause reflection. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, you know, I don't, we, you know, we, we only know what you've just told us now, but we, you know, credit you for, for going and working on yourself and breaking that cycle because, you know, I, 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 you know, there's a phrase like the hardest thing in the world to change is yourself. And like, I was lucky enough to grow up in a very, very nice home. And I still like anytime I try to change anything by myself, it's years of excruciating work. So I can't imagine what it's like to try to change something that was that's so, so tough to deal with and to try to get that out of you. And I hope yes. like this story gives you gives you hope because this the story really is a story of transformation of someone being dealt a very bad circumstance and working to get out of it. So I hope hope you get some you know encouragement from this story. It does. It does. And it actually, it works in a funny way for me because I'm Taurus cheerleader. I'm like, Tora, if I can do it, you can do it. You know what I mean? Like if out of anybody, if I could do it, you can do it. And so it gives me hope. I mean, for Tora, you know, not for myself necessarily, but for him. And I'm like, keep going, dude, you got this. Oh, it's beautiful. 
Yeah, it's so it's so interesting how every one of us brings, you know, sees things in Midnight Poppy Land and brings, you know, brings it to our life and, you know, back and forth. And we're sitting on this podcast, you know, it's like, for me, it's almost 12 o'clock at night, EST, and it's late for you guys, too. And all of us are spending hours of our life on this story because it resonates with us. Yeah, and I mean, I talk a lot about, like, what stories mean to us as people and why not everyone is like, you know, there's like the, the other half of the world that is more like, you know, technical and mechanical and engineering and all that kind of stuff. So they don't relate to stories necessarily, but most of humanity, you know, relates to stories because, and stories are like our oldest, you know, one of our oldest forms of communication, you know, we've been telling stories for forever and stories actually, you know, we talked about the, a little bit about Greek myths and Roman myths, the fact that we still have stories from 2000 years ago, you know, we might not remember laws necessarily so much. We might not remember technical documents, but we're going to remember the stories because, and we pass them on to the next generation because stories are, the way that we understand ourselves and it's the way that we teach the next generation about life and our experiences within it and our emotions and, and relationships and you know and they the same stories ring true you know for thousands of years <sighs> this is my pay into literature i love literature can't wait to write this my 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 one big goal in life so uh so right, so do we, yeah, right now we're getting back to, you know, kind of like with the segment sequence that we had before with, yeah, it's me, Martin, I found you a little running down the beach, you got away again. Someone told him climbing to a truck that was headed here with the beach thing, which again is smart of Torah. You know, he found the truck that figured out, oh, beach stuff, it's going to the beach, smart little kiddo, even at that age. And again, here, don't worry, he hasn't broken yet, he will be soon. So do we have anything more to say before we move back to the present? Because I know we covered a lot about the whole dream sequence, but we might have more. <laughs> And I'm trying to look through my notes to see if I missed anything because there was so much good content. And I'm like, I know I for sure missed some stuff that I wrote down. Um, I think just to kind of further point out stuff we talked about, Martin says, smart kid, well, we're your family now. As long as you behave, you'll always have a bed to sleep and food to eat. You can even go to school and be with friends. Not a bad deal. So he's like, uh, like Sheila, you were just sharing a little bit. It's better than nothing. Um, but then Martin shows how he truly thinks yeah. about Torah. I found a little runt. He's here at the beach. Don't worry. If he's not broken, he soon will be. Like, he doesn't really care. He's not. He doesn't view him as family. Yeah, that's a good point. So actually, if you were talking about like you know Torah, you know he oh you always have food to eat. The fact that he's like hungry before, you know this might be a reason that he has such a big appetite, Torah, because he had food insecurity. And people who had food insecurity are always nervous about food, and they feel like oh I'll never have enough. And um, I understand a bit of it. Like there was a. <laughs> you know, a time where my husband and I like did not any money. And now whenever I go to the grocery, I feel this need to like stock up on like tons of canned beans and tons of rice and tons of pasta. Because I'm like, I want to have it in my house just in case I can't afford to buy it next time. I'll have it in my house. And it's like, I end up like, I'm like, Mindy, you have so much like stop. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it does add another layer of meaning to her feeding him all the time. Mm. You now that's got to mean be deeper than just oh great some fish you know it's caring as well oh and it's very thoughtful because mm -hmm. she remembers what he likes that seafood yeah. <laughs> he probably didn't have anyone feeding him like he probably just had to like i don't know get his own food or something but having someone um make food for you and, and feed it to you is very nurturing yeah so I want to actually, I really, I'm reading the, the stuff that pa Patty was talking about. So Patty was talking about dreams in general. You know, we, we did talk about this, but dreams are a place where you let get let down your guard and the conflicts that you have in your life are exposed, your emotional mm -hmm. desires. And she also was pointing out how um, Poppy was not deterred at all by Torah being all scruffy, you know, the scruffy, dirty little boy. And you know, some people might be repelled by that, but Pat, Poppy was not at all 
you know, Rapella, she was still offering him the love and generosity despite his dirty exterior, which is, you know, Poppy sees through the dirty exterior. Poppy sees, sees a little boy that's inside. It's sweetheart. That's so sweet. And then that leads us to, if we're done with the dream sequence, um, to Poppy, which I think is so lovely because Tora's having this really awful memory dream nightmare or whatever it is. Martin is the last thing we hear in the dream sequence and then it, it fades into Poppy. Are you still awake? (laughs) (laughs) You know, here you see he's up and he has, again, that same expression he had when he was falling asleep, that contemplative expression and that like a little bit jarred, very open, very emotional, you know, wistful thinking expression. Oh, so I see here, sorry. Nikki Costa was the one who said that he has a a sense of right and wrong at a young age. So thank you. And B, somebody B, she was the one who said that he has a heart of gold. Um, just like his eyes back when he was saying, oh, he doesn't want her to cry. So, yeah, so he's, you know, now it's kind of here's perspective. And he says, I was out. And I don't remember said this. Somebody said, you know, he was, he was surprised that he fell asleep. So he's surprised that he was comfortable enough to, to let down his garden and fall asleep with her. And he said, you know, Poppy's like, oh, you went silent for a few minutes. I'm getting pins and needles in my legs already. I thought I was up for it, but your head is even heavier than it looks. And, you know, mm. again, the banter is like, had to sneak in a day at me, didn't you? And he says, hee hee. She says, hee hee, just cute. And now there's this, this is panel where, you know, they just were, you know, he was, she was cracking a joke, right? And then he was responding in kind, but then he kind of stops and there's this really nice panel shot from above where he's all wrapped up in his burrito blanket. He's in a little bit of a fetal position. His like, they're a little bit curled up and like his hands are clutched to his chest, which is the fetal position is obviously a position of like innocence and going back to the womb. And he's on Poppy's lap, again, the place of, you know, she's she's providing him with warmth and comfort and security. And she's looking down at him. And this is a very, like, trusting position, vulnerable position. And he looks up at her and he says, hey, and the view is from from beneath, you know, so he's, he's kind of looking up past her chest into her head. And he says, want to go to the beach someday. And I love this because his response to this traumatic dream where you know, he had the choice to choose Poppy or the Baltimans, and he says, I choose you. I want to go to the beach with you. He chose Poppy. <laughs> you know yeah. what he's doing? He's picking up he those seashells. <laughs> oh. yes. It's not good enough to just leave him in his mind anymore, mm-hmm. in his heart. He wants the real thing. Yes. Oh, and then uh, Emily, was, Emily and someone else was talking about how, uh, I can't remember the second person. Oh, here it is. Emily and Kay were talking about how he wants to re uh, and Mahira were talking about how he wants to rewrite the memories at the beach. You know, the beach previously he went to it looking for, you know, what's it going to be like? It looks so awesome. I want to go there. And he came there and it wasn't what he expected it to be. He was immediately apprehended, but now he wants to rewrite those memories. He wants to try again. You know, he wants back then he was a kid trying to escape. Maybe, you know, maybe this is going to be the the utopia, the Panakia and it wasn't, but now he wants to try again with the right person at the right time, which, which is very interesting because, you know, to have hope after your hope has been crushed, that's very hard. Like everyone grows, you know, you grow up and you, and you're, you know, if you've never been defeated before to have hope is, so it's reasonable, you know, but then if you've been defeated and you, your dreams have been crashed, have been dashed and crushed, to have hope again is very difficult, but he's willing to be courageous and take that step and hope for a better. Yeah. Um, and the, I think it's interesting, his, facial expression when he's in that fetal position all wrapped up in the burrito blanket um he even though you can you can zoom in on his face it's not a whole lot we can see but i feel like it's so 
there's a lot in his facial expression right there. He looks maybe like there's sadness. Maybe he's longing. Maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hopelessness. Maybe he's uncertain. <laughs> I don't know. There's just so much you could read into it. But then when he asks Poppy to go to the beach, he's very stoic. There is no emotion whatsoever right there. Because I'm wondering if he's like, he really wants to go to the beach with Poppy, but he doesn't want to let on that he wants to go so badly because if she says no, then he'll be crushed, but he doesn't want to show that. I think he just looks hot. <laughs> <laughs> he looks seri dead serious and smoking hot, even with his little red <laughs> nose. Extreme close up, yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I think, Laura, I think he's back to the stoic face that, um, that he was, they used to do before he got to know Poppy well. It's kind of reminds me like when they were running out of Mr. Lamb, like that kind of face. But I think he's very serious. I think he's, in a way, it's unreadable, but it's, in a way, I think it's just him being completely attentive, I think, of like he's really just being present. And then Lily gives us an extreme close up. And I wasn't quite sure why. I wasn't sure if it was just fan service for people wanting just a close up of Tora in their face so you feel. But I think it's also like to show you, like, this is what Poppy sees. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's so playful. I think it <laughs> might be, reminding me, I also have to plug my phone in. It might be, um, you know, this is like Poppy's perspective. Like she's so close to him. And it's, I think, you know, especially you see the next shot, she gets very nervous and she blushes and then she pushes him off. So I think it might just be showing, you know, this is too intense for Poppy. The, his closeness, his physical proximity and his asking for a date and his asking for to go out with her. She is not ready for that. So she pushes him off, shove, thunk, I'll email you, runs away. At least she doesn't push him down a flight of steps like she did last time. But basically, it's the same reaction. She is scared of being too close. But she starts this internal monologue there. And it's really interesting because I was kind of hoping you guys would have some thoughts on it where she starts off emotional validation. And then I'll email you. And then remember her. Then it continues there. But that's where that. Like, what is that mo moment of emotional validation? Was it the I extreme close-up? What, what is it? I think it's honestly just like a storytelling device. I think that Lily is um, starting. She does this a couple of times when she has the character's thoughts. She starts it kind of in the previous panel. So it, I think it's just like a hook to the next um, scene. Mm -hmm. I, what I think it is. I also was wondering why it's there. But before we get to that, that whole sequence with, um, you know, Poppy's development and growth, which is an extraordinary in and of itself. Um, I just want to point out people were talk some people were like, why is she shoving him off and like like be violently assaulting his head? Um, so Lily just pointed out like this is comedic <laughs> relief and you have to just understand it in the light of comics, you know. Is she actually damaging his head? Well, he probably bumped his head, you know, like it's not you know, it's like she was saying well, like when Quincy when Tora hit Quincy in the parking lot and he had a bump on his head. Did he really grow a bump on his head? No, it's it's exaggeration, it's hyperbole and you have to just understand it in that context, you know. Probably's not being terribly abusive. She's being a, a little bit abusive, I think, but not terribly. <laughs> it's like a little funny, uh, what's the term, sundere moment in manga. The sundere uh, is a character that acts a little mean towards somebody they like. <laughs> so, but it's humorous. So, yeah. Cute. So, anyway, she rushes out. And now, yeah, now that we get into this whole, this whole monologue that she has in her head, which is stunning. It's beautiful. She says, I've always, emotional validation, I've always thought of it as some trendy self-help catchphrase. And she's leaving Tora's apartment and there's a lot of light now. The rain has stopped and there's a lot of light coming out. 
which you know symbol and together with her her realization and the things she's going about to talk about really some it really fits in and it says maybe because i've never experienced much of it firsthand before or maybe i have but i was never aware like some kind of emotional blind spot right and then she says i just know i feel so much lighter now and she's it's almost like i was set free from the burden and the heaviness that usually comes with second guessing myself and my emotions which is obviously from uh jewelry and and then you see she pauses and she like touches her lips and she smiles and she thinks like kiss you because she's thinking of Tora kissing her and and she's enjoying that and now you see she's running down the steps she's like joyous and free and she runs down the steps she's skipping down the steps her hair is flying in the wind and she splashes into a puddle like that childlike carefree um, attitude and she says and that all came about him a very simple permission the permission is to to express her emotions. And now here, I kind of, this help, this mind helps me. She's like, well, what does that all mean, right? Me and you and everyone else is like, that means that you and Tora are meant to be together for the rest of your life. Duh. But she's not at that stage yet. She just, you know, I the, and you really helps to understand that that some of her behavior, her pushing Tora away behavior because she isn't ready to, to see him in that light yet. Right. Um, when I first read this, I thought it was Tora's inner monologue at first um the that torah was being emotionally validated and that he always thought of it as something trendy and self-helpy um so i was really surprised and quite moved that it was poppy that was feeling validated and like she was growing um and in torah's dream sequence um he feels that like poppy is there to really help him and is sees her as a way to uh change and to grow and escape the, the clan and poppy we see here is feeling some similar about Torah that he is helping her grow and feel validated and to change. And it reminded me of a quote. Um, this is Lilla Watson. Uh, Lilla is a, an indigenous Australian um, or Murray visual artist, activist and academic. And she says, um, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Mm. Um, I came across this recently. I'm a music therapist and I was uh, talking to other music therapists about what it means to work with our clients. And, you know, we have to think about like, we're not there to be the saviors of people. We're not there to be fixers. We're here to all work together to uh, rise up, you know? And I think, I just think it's so beautiful because Lily, Lily Desk, again, is such a, masterful storyteller and at first this story may come across as oh poppy is there to save torah to get him out of the, the clan and whatnot but there's a lot that they can do for each other and they're so meaningful to each other to help each other grow and each other get better which is way more healthy than having someone come in as someone's savior so maybe you guys can help me because i'm with Poppy, I have always thought of emotional validation as a trendy self-help catchphrase. I never really understood what the heck it means. So what happened in that apartment with Torah that she's reading as emotional validation? So I believe it's when she was, he let her be angry and, and yell at him. So he told her, you know, tell me, she's like, I have so many emotions, so I don't know where to start. And he says, just start anywhere. And she says, you know, mm -hmm. I'm angry at you for you know, we just had this great night and then we said goodbye and then I see you in the next day and then you walk by past me like I don't exist and you grab my presentation out of my hand and you called me shorty. So all those, that anger that she was feeling, he validated and he said, I'm sorry, you're right, I was a jerk. And, you know, he validated her feelings and her anger. 
that's kind of what I was thinking too, because um, if you read further in the panels, and I'm sorry, you guys, my, my phone died, so I can't see the panels, but she remembers, she has a memory of jewelry saying something like, it upsets me that I hurt your feelings or something like that. Um, just again, making her the bad guy, you know, when she's really the victim and all this. And it was a completely different experience with Tora. Um, he apologized genuinely. Like he was specific in his apology. I'm sorry, you know, I did this and I'm sorry you felt this way. And it was just so real. And even after they had that conversation and she unloaded, they went and laid down and she played with his hair and there was no, no tension. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. He was just like, let it out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm here to listen and let's squash this and move forward. Yeah. And, you know, now I'll read some of what, what Jolari said so we can get a contrast. You know, we hear Poppy remembering what Jolari said. I'm sorry, babe. But I don't get why you're upset. Isn't it enough that I met you for dinner last week? Sorry, babe. I don't see why you should be unhappy. I said I'll let you meet my friend soon. You're being too sensitive. I'm sorry, babe, but it makes me disappointed to know that I've hurt your feelings. I try so hard to please you and be a good boyfriend. Nothing I ever do is good enough for you. And yeah, total gaslighting. Well, thank you guys for explaining that. <laughs> I think I need to go rethink all my relationships now. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, oh, yes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this podcast is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so Kay actually says, you know, speaking of, of what you were saying, she said sometimes it takes time to process then what you've been through, what your, your experiences were, you know, because especially because if he's been convincing her that, there's something wrong with her all along. She needs time and she needs to have a contrast away from that. I remember when I, um, there's somebody in my family who got divorced after like 40 years of a very manipulative, very toxic marriage. And she asked me after 40 years, she was like, do you think I made the right decision? I'm like, are you crazy? You haven't talked to him for 20 years. He's, a, he's better now, honestly, because now he's like old and he's kind of like repenting of his ways. But like he was treated you terribly. And like, you're still asking second guessing yourself if you made the right decision it was it was crazy to me but like that's what you become when you're with someone who puts you down all the time and convinces you that you're crazy you, that's what you start to think so and you know torah is rewriting that for her right as well he's treating her right for all for all of his experiences torah has not become like you know his, in some ways he's become an aggressive monster right some people but like when when he can he, he's a sensitive person and so Poppy here, you know, finally she she understands what she's been through. She rubs her eyes, she looks indignantly at the sky, and she says, you know, the sky is like the it's yellow and the leaves are like dripping water. And she says, I'm sorry, Jillary, but that is fucking bullshit. <laughs> oh, go Poppy. Yes. Yay, yes. Poppy. And this is that mechanism <laughs> that's used in a lot of film where um background reflects the character's inner uh, landscape. So over the last few episodes, you've had that storm representing the emotional turmoil in Poppy, and now it's passed, and that we've got back to the peaceful sky. Oh yeah, and actually, um, mm -hmm. you're reminding me, uh, quite a few people noticed that the living room, Torah's living room, which had been so dark and gray when, when she came in, when she was with him now, with him on her lap, suddenly became much more warm-toned and bright. So she she helped him, you know, even invigorate his own environment. It's different now with her. But literal coming down the stairs, she says, I feel so light now. And then she looks up and the sky is luminous. So that's just beautiful. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just real quick. Um, right before she 
realizes how awful the jewelry was. We have the drip, drip, drip of the raindrops after the storm. Mm. And storms can be really destructive, but the rain can also be really cleansing. And so she has like the rain kind of like you were saying, um, Peg, that the water symbolism, like it, it is clearing away and showing her emotional shift. Yeah, she's got no tears in her eyes now when she's cussing out jewelry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good for her. She understands that, like, she doesn't need to cry over that jerk. Mm-hmm. So now we have her um, stepping, you know, walking down the street, and she passes this door, and she says, she thinks to herself, ah. And then you hear someone, you say, hey, kids, someone left this behind. So it's the clerk at the store, and he says, was it the chick who spent almost 10 minutes counting out coins for her groceries? So we were meant to understand that it was Poppy who, you know, she spent the last of her money on groceries for the Torah, which is what she didn't even eat, <laughs> ironically. It's also interesting, by the way, where Quincy, apparently Quincy, or he says, she says that he was the one who sent her there to cook him food. I'm like, Quincy, he's so um, wrapped up in himself. He doesn't even think about the fact that maybe he should pay for this food because, like, Poppy's not quite as rich as he is. But, you know, That's a good people, point. people who have money don't understand people who don't have money. So, <laughs> yeah. And but just shows you Poppy's dedication to Torah. And some of that money was even probably his because he gave her a lot of money. If you remember, he gave her extra money. So it's kind of like she's quite poor. And you see this umbrella. And I think actually, um, Peg, you were the one who I wrote down what you wrote your comments. I'll let you say about the umbrella. Oh, that she might she didn't need it at that point. She didn't need it anymore. Yep, the emotional storm passed. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm just not quite clear when when she's passing the grocery, does she is she remembering the umbrella and then it's like kind of like she's just flashing it's flashing back to what's going on before or what's going on now? I wasn't quite clear about that. That was my question also. Why is she stopping? What does ah mean? Maybe it's just realization. I thought it was just a sigh of relief, like she's moving on to whatever's next here. Because she doesn't turn and go towards the store. Right, but I think it does show us like the the vending machines behind it, so that to highlight that that is the store. But maybe I don't know. Well, it connects. Yeah, she's definitely passing by the store because you see the vending machines are across the street, and that's where she's Mm -hmm. like passing by. Yeah. So anyway, so who's this kid that the clerk is talking to? You see, you know, it's Benjamin. You know, his and somebody was saying how Benjamin is covering his eyes. Um, you you did so you go you go say it go Laura I was just looking at reading oh. <laughs> I don't remember what I wrote but something like um so Benjamin would have definitely recognized Poppy if she came into the store um so he clearly didn't want to interact with her and kept himself hidden and his his hair is very shaggy um so he's hiding his eyes behind his hair which could be uh. You know, he's just trying to hide himself. He's trying to be shady. And then we see that he is being shady. (laughs) (laughs) He walks outside. He's looking at his cell phone. And you see it's a picture of the pin. And he says, how much for this? And somebody says, 50 bucks, best offer. If you want higher, come down in person. So you made a really good comment about this, Laura. And like the, the, the second, the text that he got back. Yeah, it's, I'm very curious who he's offering this to and why they say that he'll, they'll get, or they'll pay more if he comes down in person. It seems kind of sinister. And he, I mean, he is being shady. And so like this whole text exchange seems shady. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, who is it? 
is it Poppy's mom? Is it someone else? Who knows? Yeah. That is that Poppy's mom or somebody who knows Poppy's mom or somebody who knows about the pin and what it symbolizes. Like, what is, yeah, I'm so excited to find out more. I said Poppy's yeah. mom, but that was kind of tongue in cheek because everybody always sees Poppy's mom <laughs> around every corner. So a lot of people are um, very mad at Benjamin and I'm not at all. Benjamin is a, is a teenager. He's clearly in a sticky situation, whatever his life is. He's, you know, he tells uh, Poppy, no, don't take me to the, they'll take me to the detention center, the police. So he doesn't want to go back to the detention center. So obviously things are not good for him there. He's not at his parents. Things are not good for him there. He's relying on Quincy, which if you have to rely on Quincy, it's a little bit of a, of a <laughs> sad situation. And he's working here at a store. So he's, he's pretty young, but he obviously needs to work to, to get any money. And I commend him. He's, uh, he, you know, he did steal this pin, you know, it's, it's, and he's trying to sell it. So that's dishonest of him. But at the end of the day, he is working a, a, a respectable job to make money. And I mean, I think he just reminds me of Tora a lot. Yeah, he was aggressive to, to Poppy and he called her like an old person or whatever. But, you know, he's a teenager and I'm sure he's going through a lot, a very rough time in his life. And um, I have a lot of sympathy for him. That's a good point because I was angry before you said this. <laughs> I was like, how, how are you not angry at him? <laughs> but that is a good point. Um, he doesn't seems like he doesn't have anybody reliable so he's got to do what he's got to do to survive I guess and I guess you know in the situation like that you're not always faced with I guess the most ethical choices yeah and I I wonder um so the last time he saw Poppy was he was going on his quote-unquote suicide mission that's what Torah called it um so I wonder if he when he saw Poppy again I mean, Poppy took care of him. She did what she could to make sure that he was okay. And then he stole from her, which is not nice. It's not how you repay someone for taking care of you. But we don't know his backstory and we don't know what he's been through. We don't know if that's how everybody has treated him in the past. Um, and if it has anything to do with his suicide mission. So, yeah, actually, so, um, Soup on Patreon was saying that she she's remembering where when right when he when he was on a suicide mission when he goes to the to the club he's like oh let go of my sister so i actually thought when i read that originally i thought it was just something he invented to get you know the notes of mr lamb but it's possible that he does have a sister who's involved in club miracle and you know she she was saying that there is nobody actually holding on to like a woman but maybe it's that you know his sister is in some way indebted and has to work for club miracle in order to pay off some debt or, you know, some other, whether it's a financial debt or like a, a clan related debt. So it's some kind of servitude. So he might be in this really bad situation with his sister and having to protect his sister and feeling hopeless about that situation, perhaps. So, you know, that's another potentially, um, you know, devastating angle to, to Benjamin in his life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and, you know, Benjamin. He, I don't hate on Benjamin. He's an opportunist. You know, he's like you said, he's got a lot going on. Right. And it's possible that, yeah. you know, super right, thing is possible right. that when he saw Poppy, he was, you know, first thinking, oh, could I return this to her? And then he's like, no, screw it. I need the money. And let me let me text someone to try to find out. Um, can I get any money for this? Because he's texting after he saw Poppy. So she must have reminded him. And the fact that he held, he held on to it for like a week, maybe he was hesitant to try to sell it before. Eh, I'm not expecting sainthood from ben- Benjamin. You know, he's doing his thing. Yeah. I mean, and our, you know, Torah has is the exact same way. You know, Torah has done what he had to do to survive as well. We know he's done some bad things and that's how it is. You know? 
we aren't placed in those situations. So, okay, guys, well, we have reached the end of this episode. And what do we have to say about like the episode as a whole? Go ahead, Peg. Oh my gosh. Um, it was a lot. I mean, it was, it was a really beautiful episode. They moved forward emotionally, both of them. I mean, it wasn't baby steps. There was some big, big transformations for, well, both of them uh, changed in this episode, I would say. And it was, it was awesome. I really liked this episode. Me too. Uh, yeah, I think this is my favorite also. And I feel like I say that every time I read the next one, because it just gets better and better with each chapter. Um, it's so engaging and it's so, it's so good. Um, I wonder reading through this, because after the last chapter, when they were kissing in Tora's kitchen, I was so hoping for more romance. But I wonder if Tora, part of Tora's attraction to Poppy is that she doesn't push that like physical romantic attraction attraction on him because obviously she's attracted to him i mean we all are he's so hot but all not all but lots of women in his life only see him for his hotness they don't see him for who he is as a person um so i wonder if that's part of tora's attraction to poppy is that she sees him more for who he is as a person and not he, he doesn't automatically go towards oh you're so hot let's just kiss or whatever you know very true yeah um you know what? It was a roller coaster of emotions. It was, I don't know, it was a deep episode, I feel like. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. So I was actually looking through all my notes to see if they got everything, and I got most things. There's just one thing, one or two things I want to I wanna go back to. So Debbie was talking about how, you know, she talked about shells. You know, shells are, are the weak and fragile, but then, you know, um, they're something that can be easily washed away but but they're tougher like they're tougher than they look anyway sorry forget that and i don't think i got that one so clearly but something that she pointed out very interesting was that poppy um you know we she starts out the episode with uh, childish clothing because she doesn't have money to afford them but as soon as she can you know she gets a batch of clothing from urgene she she transitions to the adult adult clothing though she's very happy to go step into the next stage but torah when when he gets sick and when he doesn't feel well he goes back to his childhood clothing and now, right, he's in the dino clothing. And as, even as an adult, he stays in there because he, I think, is not, he still feels like a child in a way. And um, and he still is a little bit of, and, you know, he defends like when he's in the dino t-shirt, right? And Poppy's like, oh, why are you in a dino t-shirt? He defends his choice. And I think, you know, he's still, uh, he hasn't gotten his childhood validated enough to move on to the next stage. You know, when, when people aren't allowed to be children when they're young, they have to have, have it be a child when they're an adult because you have to have that that stage in your life. And he he had to he was forced to grow up very very soon. So he you know harkens back to being a child as soon as he can and as soon as as he's safe to be a child. And a little bit of uh, Bianca and Clyde Susa and Anna Amelia were talking talked a lot about the shells and the Venus. They were also talking about how you know Venus uh, the work of Venus she's depicted as being on a shell and but Poppy is um, you know Poppy is the one that he wants herself. He doesn't want just the shell. He wants Poppy. He wants the Venus. He wants the love that she offers him, that she is. Oh, another thing that um, that they were talking about, um, Anna Amalia was talking about how Tora was probably willing to let Poppy go because he didn't think he could ever have her. So it wasn't something that, you know, he felt like Vincent was just going to come and then, you know, take everything away from him, just like he took her away 
you know, he was he went to the beach and he almost had it and then Vincent grabbed him. So he just feels like he's not going to get anything in his life. So that's why he was willing to let her go because he's like, I can't have her anyway. But again, like, and then the whole thing that changed in this dream is like, he had this indecision and decision, but at the end he did want Poppy. And then when he, when he woke up and he was fully conscious, he said, Poppy, I want to go out with you, which is step one in establishing the future, the roadmap. I'm so excited to see that beach date. Yeah, <laughs> Me too. Well, anyway, anything last things we say before we sign off and say goodnight and evaporate into emotion? <laughs> yeah, th- thank you to all of you. It was really nice to meet you, Shayla and Laura, and to hear everything you shared and all your thoughts. And, and thank you, Mindy, for doing this. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mindy. Yes. yes it was so you. nice to meet you, too, Pick. Uh, I, I wrote down a couple of your quotes from Patreon, so it's so nice to meet Saucy Tuckles in person. <laughs> uh, same here. Uh, it's an awesome experience. Um, like I said, I've only been here twice, but it's been amazing every single time. And it's really nice getting to know you guys and, you know, different perspectives. And Mindy, you're just amazing for taking all the time to put this together. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I feel like we, we all we all understand how profound this is for all of us. You know, whatever you guys are experiencing, I experience too. I'm like, the reason that I, I don't feel like it's a burden because it means so much to me. It really does. I mean, it's for, for my personal journey in my life, this is a very pivotal step because it's, um, and I mentioned it, being creative was a very big thing for me. And I was locked out of that for the past couple of years uh, out of a necessity to focus on career building and money. Um, and I really was very depressed for, for a good couple of years because of that and being out of touch with my creative side. So this is me getting back into it and it's truly sustaining for me. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of this. It's extremely meaningful for me. <laughs> yes, we're all showing hearts to each other on the screen. <laughs> so thank you, Lily, for facilitating this because you know you are improving so many people's lives with this story. You know, millions, like safe to say, she's over a million followers. So. You know, there, I'm sure there, there are people who read it as a fun story. And then there's those of us whom it deeply affects. And that's why we're here. Yes. Thank you, Lily. And thank you all for coming and for sharing your insights and really opening up because that's what makes this podcast. You know, people sharing their genuine, genuine horror and genuine thoughts. Okay. Well, good night, y'all. Thank you so much. All right. It was fun. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Yep. You too.